Please turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. If you have picked up an outline this morning, (laughs) and if you've seen it, you may be overwhelmed with all the texts and references in there. Please do not be. (laughs) Okay, there are a number of people that have communicated with me that they do further study during the week. And especially as we look at the aspect of church government, Many of us probably still have questions about really what Presbyterianism is. (laughs) And so hopefully these references are there to help you in terms of scripture if you want to look them up. That's all they're there for in terms of maybe your own personal reference. Okay, so... Uh, you do not have to be overwhelmed in the sense of looking all these texts up during the message. That is not its purpose. The purpose is for you to think about, if you're wondering about Presbyterianism, if that's on your heart and on your mind, or what does it mean, or what do we really hold to, then you have this before you as you go forward. I do have a kind of a map now. I've got a pretty good idea where I'm going to go in terms of the messages in the future. It is my hope, Lord willing, next week to look at the classic Acts 6 passage, okay, on deacons. So uh, this week, again, is a kind of introductory statement uh, to make sure we lay the foundation, especially in terms of the various church offices. Anyways, Ephesians chapter 4. Listen carefully to the holy word of God, verses 1 through 16. You will notice that it does very much dovetail of what we saw to the Corinthian church. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who has descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave to the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain 
to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statute, statutes of, of, of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we we hear thy word that the Lord Jesus Christ has called each of us in various ways. He has poured out the various gifts to his church according to his own, his own love for the church. We ask, O Lord, that in his love we would also see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ expressed in each one of us. Help us to be faithful in Christ's church, in that body. Help us to live in that peace in love that he gives to us. In Christ's name, amen. What is a deacon? Who can be a deacon? As I think, think about these questions, permit me to review the various offices in the Presbyterian form of government in this context. We will be able to note in this context what a deacon is, that is, what task has the Lord assigned to him in the midst of the flock? The form of government of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church believes that the offices presented in Scripture for governing Christ's church are three. Are three. The teaching elder, the ruling elder, and the deacon. Historically, the Presbyterian form of government has noted these three offices for the ministry of the gospel in Christ's church. The teaching elder is the pastor or minister of the word of God. It is his duty to feed the flock of God as well as to proclaim the good tidings of the gospel to any who are ignorant and perishing with respect to the gospel found in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Presbyterianism has interpreted the scripture to advocate three distinct headings under the office of teaching elder, the pastor, the evangelist, and the academic teacher. 
A pastor's main distinctives in the church is to conduct public worship. Pray for Christ's flock. Preach the word and administer the sacraments. Shepherd the needs in a particular congregation. The evangelist does not pastor a local congregation, but is a missionary. So all of our missionaries are ordained under the rubric of an evangelist, either in the United States or in a foreign country. Chaplains are also ordained under the rubric of an evangelist. Those ordained as academic teaching elders usually teach courses in an academic institution or in the local church that deal with the curriculum of the ecclesiastical life of the church. For example, biblical studies, systematic theology, church history, or practical theology. That's how I was originally ordained, under that rubric. And to come here, they had to change my ordination status to being a pastor. Thus, herein is the office of teaching elder in the history of Presbyterianism. Minister or pastor, an evangelist, or an academic teacher. The second office in the church is the ruling elder. Our church has six men who serve Christ's church in this capacity. Chosen by a particular congregation, these men serve along with the pastor to institute the government of the church as well as to lead the church in the service of Christ. As Christ's ruling leaders in his church, they are to be diligent in overseeing that the people do not fall into corruption or compromise doctrine and life as it is taught in Holy Scripture. They are to visit the people, instruct the ignorant, comfort the mourning, and nourish and guard the children of the covenant. They are also to pray with and for the children in Christ's flock. Thus, the ruling elders' main focus is to be diligent in governing the local congregation in the faithful service of the Lord Jesus Christ. We now come to the office of deacon. As we proceed You want to be thinking of men who may have the qualifications to serve in this capacity within our own flock here. The office of deacon is different from the minister. Again, the minister, word and sacrament, and the ruling elder in charge of the government of the church. The deacon in serving Christ in the church demonstrates the compassion of Christ towards the saints in Christ's flock and those strangers with whom the church may find themselves interacting. They are stewards of the resources that the local church has been given in order to directly care for those who are in need or distress. 
This ministry is distinctively provided within the structure of the church in order to serve others. Yes, in terms of what was said in last week's message, the deacons clearly oversee the gifts that Christ's people give in self-denial of themselves in order to assure that others are cared for at times of difficulty and hardship. Simply put, the deacons participate in the visible and private ministry of mercy by collecting and dispersing timely necessities of relief and help to those in need. Furthermore, other forms of service for Christ's church is often given as oversight by the deacons or for the deacons. For example, we notice even here in our own congregation, we notice their care over various aspects of our worship here every Lord's Day and also their oversight in terms of the facilities in which we do worship. Before we direct ourselves more closely to the office of deacon, I want to make two further observations that are important before we proceed. First, we must underline this reminder from the message last week. Each of these three offices in the church and in their ministry has Christ's directive for discipleship at its core. Following Christ's actions and living the life of self-denial as he goes to the cross for his people to in Jerusalem, each office bearer in Christ must deny himself, must lose their life, take up their own cross, and follow their Redeemer. Indeed, Christ is the model servant as the head of his church. But discipleship, servanthood, does not stop there. We also noted last week that all the covenant members of Christ's visible church, and notice how I have word that, all the covenant members, what does that mean? What does that mean? Young people, are you listening? What does that mean? Means even if you are a non communicant covenant member, as well as those who are communicant covenant members, also live the life of discipleship and servanthood in the covenant church. We see that even in the midst of this congregation with many of our young people terms of how they serve us each week and the things that they do. That is called upon in terms of the word of God. They themselves, like all of us, 
have the prescription of Christ upon them of discipleship and servanthood. But in this context, we want to accent the following point. Christ, as the head of his church, crystallizes order. Crystallizes order in his church. He puts in place distinct functions of servanthood under his headship. What is the distinctive function of the teaching elder as servant? Basically, he is the minister and servant that preaches the word and administers the sacraments. What is the distinctive function of the ruling elder as servant? Basically, they minister and serve as governors of the church, nourishing and guarding her without compromise in doctrine and life. What is the distinctive function of the deacon as servant? Basically, they minister and serve as stewards of the resources of the local church in order to care for the needy and the suffering. In fact, the Greek word for deacon means servant. And thus, this particular church office crystallizes the visible expression of mercy Mercy servanthood more than any other gospel office in Christ's church. Keeping these things in mind brings me to a second important observation. As we have stressed that all the officers in Christ's church are to be viewed as servant disciples... And as we have stressed that all the common members in Christ's church are servant disciples as well, we need to understand in a biblical and Presbyterian form of church government that there is no hierarchy as we see in Roman Catholicism with a pope and some of the other Protestant churches such as the Greek Orthodox and Anglican churches. The fine, astute Dutch theologian, Herman Bovink, perceives well that the New Testament church is not hierarchical. Under the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the reason that I read those texts for you this morning, under the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the Spirit's directive, informing the New Testament church, under the headship of Jesus Christ, Bovink points out that nowhere in the New Testament will you find the idea of an elite clerical class of church office. As the New Testament church starts to take shape on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon Galileans 
who were given the ability to speak in various languages, which would be truly recognized by those present in their native tongue. All the nations are equally hearing the gospel of the good news, calling all equally, Jew and Gentile, son and daughter, young men and old men, male and female servants, everyone to repentance and faith in Christ. Did you listen carefully to the call of worship this morning? It's right from Joel 2, going to Pentecost. All those who come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ are led by the same Spirit in a life producing fruit in the service of Christ. Every member of Christ's church who truly believes in Christ receives his blessed atoning as the teaching of the triumphal gospel of grace abides in every believer's heart. Surely, congregation, if you're with me, the wonderful text about the priesthood of all believers is on your mind at this point, even in our message. Yes, all those who believe, not an elite group within the church, are the equal and essential stones that make up a spiritual house and into that house of shrouded glory a holy priesthood of believers enter to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know what I've just quoted. 1 Peter 2.5 Indeed, those who have entered into such a grand saving faith in Christ are the objects of God's sacred love And the scripture, the New Testament, calls you saints. Saints. They are surely wrapped in the arms of their loving Savior as his cherished possession. The New Testament church begins with the Holy Spirit coming upon various tongues of the nations, of all humans created in the image of God equally. And it is in this context that we cannot deny that the scriptures speak of a distinction between the shepherds and the flock, leaders and followers. You see, You see, congregation, in the hierarchical system of church government like Roman Catholicism, the distinction between the clergy, the priests, and the laity, the common person in the church is one in which the priests, the clergy, view themselves as superior to the laity and take such vows of celibacy 
to prove their superior spiritual life before the Lord and before the common people in the church. Not so in biblical Presbyterianism. The distinction between the officers in the church and laity has nothing, absolutely nothing, to do with the officers having a superior spiritual life in comparison to the common people in the pew. I used to say this statement constantly in the classroom to drive this point home even as I was a teacher of Bible and Christian doctrine. I would say to the students, many of you are definitely before the Lord more holy than I. And it's the same in this congregation. It's the same here. Because I'm before you does not make me superior in any way spiritually to you. Not in any way. Now you're not allowed to follow me around every day to find out. <laughs> but it's important for us to see that. It's important for us to hold on to that and understand that in terms of how Christ is working with us. The distinction between the officers and the common people in Christ's flock is in the manner of Christ distributing his gifts into his own body as head of the church. As all equals, as all equals in our union with Christ, the body of Christ is to perceive those gifts among the men in the local congregation in order with much spiritual discernment and prayer to bring qualified men before the church, before the congregation, as possible servants for the offices of the church. In this context, Bavink makes what can be considered a helpful distinction. Those who are perceived to have the gift to be a pastor of the church. In the New Testament, Paul has run through some of those for us. We've read those in our text, apostle, prophet, evangelist. Bobbing points out he refers to this as the extraordinary office, whereas the ruling elder and deacon are referred to as ordinary office. Again, it is important to underline that the distinction here is not based on a perception of spiritual superiority. It is based on the gifts that Christ has given his church. Now listen, given his church perceived, perceived by Christ's flock. By Christ's flock. In the final analysis, you yourself are not the evaluer of your gifts. The flock is. 
the brothers and sisters in the church are, especially for the concept of holding church office. Furthermore, do not miss that Christ, through his spirit, distributes his gifts in relationship to another important ingredient for the church, which I have mentioned already, church order. Church order. The maintenance of good and sufficient order in Christ's body. And again, if there's any question on that, I encourage you to immerse yourself in understanding 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 this week. That's what Paul is correcting. The disorder that has invaded that church. Hence, office in Christ's church is not, office is not to exercise authoritarian power, but to exercise ministry in the building up of Christ's body. Office is not hierarchy, but servanthood and stewardship that directs the entire body of Christ towards their inheritance in Christ. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you think upon these things, please do not look at the three offices in the church as a hierarchy. We have a tendency to do that pastor at the top, ruling elders next, and then the least important office, the deacon. Remember, as the preaching of the word and sacraments do have priority in the life of Christ's church, we must not miss That as the pastor is the servant of word and sacrament, his designation as servant is with the Greek word that means literally what? What did we say before? Did you catch that? Means literally deacon. Deacon. The pastor serves as the deacon of the ministry of word and sacrament. The specific office of deacon serves as the deacon of the ministry of mercy to those in need. So although word and sacrament are center stage in the life of the New Testament church, the office of deacon and its service is absolutely essential 
to the ministry and the life of Christ's church. That office, the office of deacon, must never, no, never be downplayed by the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is given by Christ himself as servant to us so that they also do the service of mercy to others in need in the congregation. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for how thou dost supply the church with multiple gifts for the body and the nourishment of that body. We praise your name for the three offices. And we ask, O Lord, that we ourselves would see those offices in biblical consciousness and that we would understand the great service that the Lord Jesus Christ serves each of us through the orderly aspect of the office of deacon in his church. We ask, O oh Lord, that thou would raise up men, even in this congregation, who have that gift. And we ask, O oh God, that the congregation would be perceptive of that. In Christ's name, amen.